Turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2 today, starting with verse 1. And so we continue in our series through the book of Romans, teaching through this amazing book. We know, as we have discussed in the past, so as we set this series up for you, that it is a powerful book, perhaps, according to many theologians and even people like Martin Luther, who we know somewhat as being the father of the modern-day Reformation, that it's perhaps the most important book that we would ever read in the entire canon of the New Testament. It's about Christian living. It's simply about who we are in Christ and how God sees us and, and how we respond to that in our life. And so it's a journey. Can I tell you, as we work through this book now for three weeks, it is a journey. It challenges us. It calls things out within our lives. It encourages us. It reminds us that God paints all of Scripture with the brush of grace and mercy. And yet he is also the just. He is just and he is the justifier. And, and, and so we realize that, uh, that our Behavior does matter in life, and we're going to talk about that in a few moments today. But but I ask a question as we start today, and the question is this. Are you trusting in progress or perfection in your life? As you grow in God, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in progress or perfection? So I think it's a moment to have that discussion and think about that. So those of you that are joining us by church at home, we want to say welcome to you this morning also. And maybe for a moment in that group, wherever you are in your living room or wherever you find yourself today, that you discuss that for just a second among everyone around you, that what are you trusting in the progress of your life spiritually? Are you trusting in perfection? Because we say that that's what our life is about when we walk with God. It's about progress. It's about the process of our lives. And so I kind of put a few things together to share with you to sort of set us up for what we're going to talk about today. And that is that about progress. Progress results from what a deeper understanding of the character and the nature of God. How I understand God. Secondly, is this that progress simply results in a deeper understanding of how God sees us. How does God view me? I think that's really important because some of us, that's really skewed within our lives. And the third thing about progress is this, that it results from a deeper understanding of the power of the gospel for salvation. That's something that we have learned from the book of Romans already, that it is simply the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's not my works, right? It's not how I check off all the things in the boxes in my life or simply do the list that God has given, but yet that it is a relationship with God by grace, saved by grace through faith. And so the power, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So here's the thought, you know, I'm a father, I have three sons, and now I have three amazing granddaughters, and, you know, yeah, I'll have a picture later on, okay, so hang on, just, you know, wouldn't be a grandfather without having a picture, right? So I have a picture, we'll show that at the end of the service in a moment, but yet, um, if, if you grew up in a home with a loving and caring parent, then what I realize as a parent is what we do is we challenge our children with what I would call invitations. You say, what do you mean, Mark? Well, we invite them to something greater in life is what we do. We invite them to something. So when I warn my boys, when I would warn them about things like, hey, don't do this or here, do that, then what it always was, it was a warning, but yet it was an invitation to something better, to something greater within their lives. I had to warn them quite a bit. Some of them are one of them. I warn them a lot more than the others, absolutely. And if you're a parent, you, abs- you understand what I'm saying. But when I would warn them being an invitation to something better for their lives, that it was never about me flexing my authoritative muscle. That's not what it was about at all. 
And if you're parenting and that's what it's about for you, then I would admonish you today to really pray and check up on your parenting skills because that's not what this is about when we parent our children. It's not about flexing our authoritative muscle. It's not about us. It's about growing them. It's about that progress, not perfection. But, you know, when I would say things to them like, hey, don't do this, well, it was to keep them safe. And when I would say things to my sons like, hey, do that, then it was for them to walk in joy and to have a better life. As parents, we're not flexing that parental muscle, but it's an invitation to something better in life is what it was. That's exactly what Romans is. Boy, if you could write that, you know, right in the front of the book of Romans, that introduction page that you have in your Bible, write that this is an invitation to something better. It helps us, I think, to navigate the words that Paul speaks to us. And as he challenges us, it helps us to understand what he's doing, that he's revealing the heart of God for you and I through his words. But you say, Mark, I've read some in the book of Romans to prepare for this morning. And what I realize is that if those are invitations, then they are very strong invitations, right? Because some of them appear to be demands. And can I just clear the air? I I want to do that for a moment with you because this is a rub in our lives. But I think we need to establish this, that God does have demands for you and I. Let's put that out there, okay? That God does demand things from you and I. And you say, Mark, can you really say that? You know, because yes, he does. And I, I think in our culture, which I love very much, don't, don't mistake what I'm about to say for some kind of dislike for our culture. No, I love it. But here is the thought, and I love you. But here is the thought. We want to have this God who simply flies around with fairy wings on, and he sprinkles us with holy dust, and he only guides us through suggestions in life, Right? And that's the God that I want. Yes, because that makes me feel comfortable, you know, in this whole thing. And, and what I realize is that with my own sons, sometimes that suggestion, that invitation had to be a very strong invitation, right? And it had to accompany, be accompanied by some encouragement from me, you know. And sometimes that encouragement, and some of you don't parent this way, and that's fine. I understand that that encouragement was what we would call the right hand of fellowship. I don't know if you've ever had the right hand of fellowship, right? Yes. And some of you, maybe you should have had the right hand of fellowship a little more in a very loving way. Yes. And, and so, Mark, you shouldn't do that. Well, we used a ping pong paddle. And, and you know, and our oldest, and, and, and we were, because we knew that it would not harm them to, to paddle their rear end every once in a while. Oh, boy. And save the emails for me, okay, about all this, all right? Just save them. Save your time about all of that, yes. My oldest was the most challenging. We love him tremendously. He's a police officer today who is a amazing man and, and a great part of his community, protects his community. And, and so, you know, you know, what he would always do is he would always try to find the ping pong paddle and he would hide it from us is what he would do, yes. Why? Because he received mostly the hand, right hand of fellowship all the time is what he did, yes. And he, he turned out okay, so it's, it's all right. So when I read Romans, there's some strong suggestions there. In fact, I think they're more than suggestions. They're demands of God. But when I see God's demand outside of his character and nature, that's where I'm going to struggle, you see? Because that's where we go back to that 
progress or perfection. That when I see those demands from God outside of knowing his character and nature and that he is for me and not against me, that he's the perfect father. Then when I see it outside of that, that's when I try to say, Mark, what do you mean by perfect father? I think that's important that we understand who he is this morning because here is God. God knows us. You say, well, our earthly father knows us. Yes, let me tell you how I know my sons. I know their past. Oh, I absolutely know their past. As they get a little older, now they're revealing more of their past to me and things they did. Now, And I think, wow, you really did that? And I didn't know that. And, 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 I, and I know they're present. Yes, I know they're present. I know where they are, what they're doing, and as much as they will allow me to know. But here's what separates me as an earthly father from God being my heavenly perfect father, and that is that he knows my future. And so what I realize is this, that his motivations for me are not only pure, but they're timeless. They're timeless. He knows my future. I know his motivation toward me. In fact, the last verse that we will read this morning is verse 11 of of Romans chapter 2. And it says that, for God shows no partiality. And and that's an amazing statement, such a powerful statement for you and I. It's it's what we call theologically a declarative statement. It is because he knows, shows no partiality in reward or in judgment in my life. And he shows no partiality in encouragement and in discipline in my life. Why? Because he is my perfect father and he is for me and he's not against me. He knows exactly what I need in this life. And he paints all of this with the powerful brush of the gospel for you and I. So it's Romans chapter 2 verse 1. Let me read this to you. It says this, therefore you have no excuse. I love this, the way that Paul starts this out, because who's he, who is he addressing? Well, in chapter 1, he addresses the Greeks and a lot of the sins that they're doing. And the Jews are standing back and they're saying, Whew, I'm glad that I'm not them, right? I'm glad I'm not like they are. But then Paul, all of a sudden in chapter 2, he addresses the Jews and says, Hey, you have no excuse because you guys know. And that term, no excuse, is a legal term. In fact, what it means is you have no reasonable defense upon your part. In other words, you can't claim ignorance here. You can't play that card anymore. That this is not just about the other guy. This is about you. And how many times do you and I come into this place on a Sunday morning and we we, all, we have that attitude of this is about the other guy This is not about me. And I think that's important that we start there. That this is about you. That's where we begin. So you're old friends now, right? You've greeted one another. You knew this was coming. This is a perfect moment for this. But can you turn to the person next to you and say, hey, this is about you today. Can you say that to them for a moment? That this is about you. I don't have anybody sitting next to me. Yell it across the room. They need to hear this, right? That this is about you. That you can't, you can't separate yourself from what Paul is teaching us in the book of Romans. Why? Because he's writing this to the church. He's writing this to you and I. To people that sit in seats like this every week. And this is what he says, oh man. And he starts out that because he reminds us of our humanity. He says, oh man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, reminding the Jews of their humanity, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, 
that you will escape the judgment of God? I will go ahead and answer that question for you. Absolutely not. They will not. Why do you say that? Because of verse 11 that God shows no partiality. That's it. But I attend church, Mark. No, God shows no partiality. But I haven't missed in three years. God shows no partiality. Yes, but I stand on the stage every Sunday morning behind a podium and preach to people. But God shows no partiality. So this is about all of us this morning. So I have three questions for you today. The first is this. What does the Bible really say about judging? Oh, that's important, I think. What does the Bible... Hey, Paul brought this up. We have to discuss it. So what does the Bible really say about judging? Because I want to do two things. I want to talk about first the myth that surrounds this text. And then I want to talk about, secondly, the truth that surrounds this text. Because I think there are times in all of our lives when we have to make judgment calls. That there are times in all of our lives that we have to make judgment observations about certain circumstances in our life, about others that surround us, and about behavior of ourselves and others in our lives. So let me tell you what this is not. This is not a declarative text this morning simply to say to us that you can't judge. That's not what this is about. So remove that from your mind. That's not what this is about. It's not a declarative text telling us that you can't judge. But it is a declarative text as to the spirit and the heart in which you judge people and circumstances. It's about our heart. It's about our motivation. It's about why we look at people and circumstances and why we say the things that we do. Because we have to look at the things that we judge and and the way we judge people. And we have to say that, am I judging those people on the account of me? Is this about me justifying something within my life? Is that what this is about? Because you know what? Do you know the best way to make yourself feel good? Can I tell you? Here's a key. Here, here it is. Here's a little nugget. The best way to make you feel good about yourself is simply to find someone that is struggling greater in life and then compare yourself to them. Is it? Isn't that right? Yes, we all do it. Because you look at someone and you say, man, compared to you, I'm an angel, right? Yes, and you say, I've never said that, but you have thought that. But that has gone through your mind at some point in life. Boy, I sure am glad I'm not in the condition you're in. I thought I was bad until I met you. And now I feel pretty good about myself. Those are the things that Paul is addressing here. It's how I see you. And how I see you through my own struggles and my own imperfection and my own brokenness in life and my own sinfulness in life. That is the lens in which I view you through my failures and my, unbro- and my own brokenness. And if I judge you outside of anything else, if I say to you in your life that that's sin in your life because I want to help you, I want to come you know, alongside of you as your brother and sister in Christ, that if I say those things to you outside of the lens of my own brokenness and my own sinfulness, then it's absolutely sinful for me. If I judge your life, your behavior outside of grace, mercy, and humility, and love, and forgiveness outside the attributes as I need for my own life, then it's sinful for me to do that. That is what Paul is teaching us. That's what he's teaching us. Judging outside or judging others without considering my own duplicity. That's the issue. But boy, this this text, now let me tell you something about this text. The world, and when I say the world, I'm not talking about geography. 
When I say the world, and we know Scripture bears this to be true, it talks about those that are not following Christ. It's not that God doesn't love everyone, but those that are not following him. The world loves this verse, and I will tell you why. They love this verse because they love to take it out of context. Because when you take this out of context, what happens with this text about judging is this. It blurs the lines in my life and your life of what is evil and what is good. It does. It blurs the lines in my life of what is edifying to me as a believer and what is destructive for me as a believer. It it, it blurs the lines in my life as to what is the work of God and what is the work of Satan in my life. Can I say something to you this morning? And I want you to hear this. If you've never told me no, so I'm going to say it, okay? And here it is. God wants you to know, God wants you to know good from evil. Understand that. God wants you to know good from evil. That's why he says to these people, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. So how does that work? Boy, I'm glad you asked that question. Grab your Bibles again. It's the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. I love Hebrews. Why? Because we don't know who wrote it. So we're just going to say, hey, God wrote this as he inspired others to write scripture. But Hebrews 5 and verse 14, here's what the writer says. He says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, I underlined so much in that verse that I just underlined the whole thing, right? Because it's so powerful. But my question is, how do you distinguish between good and evil evil if you can't judge? How? How is that possible? You see, that's why the world loves the verse. Oh, they they love to use it as a weapon uh, against us. Because why? Because The purpose of the enemy in our life is to blur the lines between that of good and evil in our life. So we find ourselves stepping over the lines. So how do you distinguish between good and evil if you can't judge? The verse is so powerful for us in this area. Because what it starts out to say, it talks about solid food. It talks about solid food. What is is the writer talking about? He's sure not talking about the tofu skinny taco. That's not what he's talking about at all, right? No. He's talking about the five-pound burrito. That's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about substance here, right? Substance. Yes. What he's talking about is doctrinal principles. He's talking about scripture. So what it says in distinguishing good and evil, first I start with scripture. I start with doctrinal principles for my life. And then he says that they're trained by constant practice. Some of your translation says that simply that their senses are exercised. And what this means is this, that we are trained by the Holy Spirit. We're listening to the Holy Spirit as we walk through life. He trains our senses so that we know that of good and evil. And then he talks about discernment. That's where the judging thing comes in. But because he talks about discernment. And the word here simply means judicial understanding. It's a powerful thought. Judicial understanding. It's what a judge does, that we have doctrine, we have scripture, we have the Holy Spirit that speaks to our lives about what is good and what is evil within our lives. And that brings on this discernment, this 
this judicial understanding that I know good from evil. So when I go through life, when I'm walking through life, that I go through life with my eyes completely wide open, that I know good from evil. And not only do I know good from evil in my life, but I know good from evil in your life. And as a believer, as one who loves you, as we are brothers and sisters, that I don't stand back and watch you self-destruct. I don't stand back and watch you immerse yourself in some kind of sinful behavior that I know eventually that's going to bring you to the point of judgment with God. What do I do? I step into the fray of your life in light of my own brokenness and failure. That's it. But Mark, I'm imperfect. Wait till I get everything put together in my life and then I'm gonna help people around me. No, Paul's point is that you start doing that now in the moment of your imperfection, in the moment of your own brokenness. You lose When you lose sight of that of your own depravity in life, that is that of the sin of judgment when you try to simply say to other people, man, you know what? You need to stop that. I don't do that anymore in my life, thank God. Or I've never done that in my life and but you need to know I step into the fray of everybody's life in the light of my own brokenness and if you're waiting until you become perfect to point out what other people are doing destructive in your life in a loving and a kind and a forgiving way then you will never ever have the opportunity to step into someone else's life and simply throw them a lifeline of God because you will never be perfect in this life Oh, I feel that <laughs> in, in my imperfection. Boy, you know, I, I think sometimes you, you misjudge. There is the word, right? You misjudge even, even me at times, I, I think, in getting up here because you think, well, I guess he's got it all together this week so he can come up here and teach. Can I tell you? That's untrue. That is absolutely untrue. Yeah, I'm not going to give you a whole list of this week, okay? But it's not true at all. What I realize is that in my imperfection, that I can take the word, the doctrine that God has given me. I know the Holy Spirit has, he speaks to me in life, that he gives me discernment in life and, and that I'm able to speak those words to you to give you guidance and direction that God has given us, not out of my perfection, but out, but, but out of the progress of my life. You can read Matthew chapter 7. Verses one through five later on, it's a powerful verse. Take it in context, man, because people in the world love, judge not that you be not judged. Or we like the KJV when that works well. And I'm a judge not least you be judged, you know, is what we say. You can make a t-shirt, right? And everybody go, dude, that's awesome. High five. Oh, fist bump. You can't touch people's palm with their hand right now. So, you know, and that's wonderful. And I agree with that. But when you read this in context, it doesn't relinquish our responsibility to one another. It doesn't. We judge things all the time. We do. So a little survey this morning, okay? And, and I'll, I'll make a point with this. So, so how many of you would say it's a little warm in here right now? Put your hand if you think it's a little warm, okay? Okay, well, I'm warm, but I'm standing under the lights up here getting a tan, okay? How many of you think it's a little cool right now in the room? Anybody saying it's a little cool? Okay, look at all the people and how you judge. Isn't that amazing? Do you see that? Yes, you see that? Absolutely. We judge things all the time in life. Yes. For some of you, you're going to go to lunch today, right? And you're going to sit down and you're going to order the, the, this is the South, right? So you're going to order the park, the pork barbecue sandwich. And the server is going to bring you this, 
this soy faux plant-based barbecue on wheat with brie cheese and strawberries is what they're going to bring you, right? And you're going to push that back and say, this is not real food because in South Carolina, if we can't kill it, we don't eat it, right? Yes, yes. So this is not real stuff, but you judge. This is, this is what we do. It's exactly what we do. You go to get a new car and you tell the salesperson, hey, I want something loud and I want it fast. You know what I want? They bring around a Prius to you. Batteries fully charged. You know, it makes no noise. Well, what is that? Oh, don't judge. You can't judge. But what I realize in life, that there is judgment and then there's condemnation. And those are two different things. That if you point out something in my life that I'm struggling with or I point out something in love that you are struggling with, it's always, it's always an open door to hope and forgiveness and love and mercy for you and for me. And that's the way we care for one another. And that's exactly what they were not doing in the church at Rome. And that's why Paul simply takes them down this road. It's about doctrine. It's about that of the scriptures. It's about listening to the spirit as he speaks to us. It's about discernment. It's about that judicial understanding that I know right from wrong. So some of you are in a relationship right now. Can I talk to you for a moment? I've already been speaking 25 minutes and I haven't got point past point one. That's, what does that tell you? What does that tell you? Oh, yes. Yeah, it tells you just to buckle up your seatbelt. That's what that says, right? Yes. Some of you are in a relationship right now and maybe it's a guy or girl or I, I, I don't know what it is, but you know, they're not following Christ, but you're a Christ follower and you think, hey, I can love them to Jesus. You know, that's exactly, that's my call in life, you know, and that's what I'm, I'm gonna love them to God. Can you take some just absolutely some doctrine and place over that and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning and have some discernment, some judicial understanding. And what you realize is that that's not God's will for your life. Oh, I want to buy this for my life because God intends for me to be happy and enjoy everything, you know, for his glory, for my joy. So I'm going to go buy that. I can't afford it, you know. I can, I can make one payment on it maybe, but I'm going to go buy this and we're going to have a great time with this. And God will provide the rest and we simply forego all due diligence within our lives. Can you take some doctrine, some scripture and place over that? Can you take simply the spirit as he speaks to you over that and have discernment and that judicial understanding within your life and realize that that is going to be destructive in your life? Yes, we do judge. But never out of our perceived perfection, but always out of our imperfect progress in life. Verse four, I have to hurry. (laughs) Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And he's talking about the final judgment there. How do you show contempt for God's goodness and mercy and contextually as how do we show contempt for God's mercy and God's goodness within our lives it's that of how we judge people is exactly what he's talking about contextually when we judge people outside of our own brokenness and our own failures in life then what we do we simply render a value upon the grace of God and the mercy of God and we say that it is of little value or value less is simply what he's talking about because he talks about riches here he talks about the riches of his kindness his forbearance 
and his patience within our lives. What is, what is Romans, what is Paul teaching us? He's teaching us that God models the way in which we treat one another. God models the way in which we love and care for one another. So he gives us these things of kindness and forbearance and patience because that's the heart of God. And that's the heart that I want. That's the heart that I want for you. And that's the heart that I, got, I want you to have for me. And so he gives us these examples of God's kind disposition, of that of God's uh, tolerance for you and I, because God is tolerant of us in a lot of ways, of God's patience within our lives. And he's making this comparison between that of the Jews who simply have all the knowledge and all the understanding of the law and scripture, but yet their actions dictate something otherwise. And those are the Greeks who are sinners who don't know those things. And he said, wait a minute. This is not the way my church should look. So he models the way in which we treat one another. That seeing my own brokenness transforms the lens and the way that I treat you and I see you and I love you and I embrace you and I include you in life. It does. It is so important. And these are, these are pleas from God, but he puts teeth with them. What do you mean he puts teeth with it? Because these are strong invitations. Because he says this, that your behavior, your behavior, the way you're treating one another, I will judge your behavior. That's what he's saying. That I'm going to judge your behavior. Oh, Mark, I thought my sins were forgiven. I thought that they were all washed away with the redemptive work of the cross. And they are. But Paul talks about your hard and your impenitent heart. That's your continued rejection of God with no excuse. You can't play ignorant in this whole thing. But you continually shut off God. You turn a deaf ear to God's voice within your life. And I think for some of you, you shutting off an area of your heart where you say, God, you can have all of this in my life. But this thing over here, God, I'm going to keep this for myself. And can I tell you, God says, I love you and I'm patient with you and I'm kind with you and I'm going to be tolerant with you. But understand this, there will be judgment on that place within your heart unless you surrender that to me. Mark, that is not what we want to hear in our current day. And that will not sell books on Amazon. I understand that. But I cannot preach Romans to you without preaching to you this stuff. He uses the word hard heart or impenitent heart. It's a medical term. It's a Greek word. It's a medical term. And it's that... that um, that very term, it's like the hardening of your arteries in your heart. Sclerosis is the term. It's a spiritual sclerosis is what this is for you and I. It's the very same term they use in medicine today. It's a hardening of our spiritual arteries. It's a metaphor. That sin begins to accumulate in my life. And sin begins to accumulate in your life. And we play this thing with God that, God, I'm going to give you this, but I, I got to hang on to this in my life. You know, uh, this is kind of like my comfort. This is the blanket that I snuggle with kind of deal. And so I'm going to hang on to this. And so that sin begins to accumulate. That unrepentant sin begins to accumulate in my life. And it truly acts like fried and fatty foods. It does. You say, Mark, you didn't have to bring that up. No. 
because, you know, I love me some fried chicken. I, I really do. I, I, I like it. I, li- I like chicken fried steak and, uh, or whatever, and I like with some gravy on top of it. I like all that kind of stuff, and it's fried, and it's fatty, and it does affect our heart because at some point, it clogs our arteries. And that's exactly what he's using as a metaphor here in this thing of sclerosis. Is that that unrepentant sin that you hang on to all the time in your life, at some point over your lifespan, it begins to clog your spiritual arteries? And when I looked up that of hardening of the arteries in our own physical body and how sclerosis works, I said, what, is, what, what does this cause? What are the effects of that? And I was amazed that it causes blindness. It causes weakness. It causes confusion. It causes fatigue. Tell me the Holy Spirit wasn't working through Paul when he wrote this to you and I. Because the spiritual hardening of my arteries, what does it cause in my life? It causes spiritual blindness. It causes spiritual weakness. It causes spiritual confusion in my life. It causes spiritual fatigue within my life. If you've ever doubted God's heart for you and God is for you and not against you, if you've ever doubted the fact that God's redemptive work can cover everything that you've ever done in your life, then go to these texts and read them and sit in them because this is an invitation to your heart. It's an invitation today for something better in your life. Verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Last question. Do my actions really matter in life? Do my actions really matter? Because when the Romans heard this, those Romans, those, those outside of the Jewish faith heard this at the church at Rome. They knew exactly what Paul was teaching. Because what Paul does, Paul uses a Latin phrase here. And, and so, hey, use Latin. People think you're really smart if you, if you do that. They really do, right? And so I will teach you a Latin phrase this morning. And the phrase is lex talionis. That's the phrase, lex talionis. Lex talionis is a, it's, it's a Greek phrase that simply stands for the law of retribution. Now here it is. What it means is this, is what we're doing to others, we're also doing to God. That's powerful. That what we're doing to others, lex talionis, what we're doing to others, we're also doing to God. Why? Because we're all made in the very image of God. And so those deeds in my life, both good and bad, oh, they come back upon me one way or another. And let me say this to you before you draw conclusions that are wrong. God is, 
not talking through Paul about that, the process of regeneration within our lives and redemption within our lives. This is not about you working to God. This is not about you chalking up enough good works for God to love you. That's none of this whatsoever. So erase that from your mind. But this is about our obligation in Christian living. That's exactly what the Romans, the book of Romans is about. It's how you and I live out our faith in this world. This is our obligation in Christian living, that we are saved by grace, yes, but we are judged by our works. My actions in this life do matter. I think that's important. That my actions in this life matter. Paul writes in the book of Colossians, in the last verse I share with you this morning, chapter 3, verse 1. He says that if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, this is the important part, that you set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That you set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. And I go back to what he says in Romans that, you know, in well-doing, I'm seeking glory and honor and immortality. The results of that, he says, in well-doing, that's eternal life that I purpose every day in my life with the help of God. And I'm imperfect in those areas. And where I'm imperfect in those areas, there's forgiveness and there's grace for me. Understand that, that God is not keeping score in those areas of those repentant sins within my life. But what I realize is this that I set my mind on those things that are above. That I realize I'm walking in life through doctrine, through scripture within my life, through the voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks to me, through that of discernment or judicial understanding within my life. So I I know good from evil, whether it's in my life or your life. And I first recognize it in my life before I'm ever able to point it out in your life to help you. My actions do matter. I, I just can't I just can't go through this world and live this somewhat flippant life where uh, so so water, oh well kind of attitude that I have about the way I treat you and the way you treat me. Or, or the way I respond to the person on the street or the person that I meet at lunch today or someone that has a, a different view of things than I do. I can't just use words and then pass them off as words and, and they're nothing more than that. My actions do matter in this life. Your actions matter. In the progress, not the perfection, they matter. For God shows no partiality. And when I read this verse, what I realize is that this whole list of sins that Paul records in chapter 1, and Matthew did such a great job with that text last week, that when it comes down to what God looks at in my life, what I realize is that he looks at my heart. He looks at that hard, impenitent heart of mine, that he doesn't judge me on the color of my skin, 
and neither should you judge anyone on the color of their skin. He doesn't judge me on my pedigree as to what my past is or I was raised in church or not raised in church and he doesn't judge me on the status of my life. But it's an invitation to surrender those places of my heart to him. for something better because my actions do matter in this life you're challenged you're called out (laughs) Paul's good at that and then you're encouraged and then you're assured that God is for you what a powerful God we serve So for a moment, would you bow your heads and I would love to pray with you and pray with you. And then don't leave. We have worship and then I would like to talk with you for a moment and just share with you some some exciting news. But let me pray for you for a moment. Father, God, you know the condition of our hearts. You know where we are. And God, we're encouraged by that. Because your grace and mercy is shown so powerfully in your patience with us. So you know our hearts, you know our lives. And today, Lord, we come to this place where we truly deal with that question of does our actions matter? And we say, God, without any doubt from Scripture this morning that they do. And God, the scripture has taken all excuses from us in life. All of those excuses that we might use to simply justify ourselves. And has simply laid our hearts bare before you. So God, speak to us this morning. About those areas of our heart that have become hardened to your voice. Those places of unforgiveness. Those places where we have harbored things that we shouldn't harbor those sins that we've held on to God God you're you're with us you've not left us but yet you're dealing with our hearts today and so God work within us as we surrender those places to you today God we do that now we do that today we make that change now by surrendering to you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that there is grace and there is mercy for all of us in this room this morning. Father, your grace is so rich and so powerful for people like us. So, Lord, you have pulled back the shade on evil. We see evil for who it is today. And, God, in your light of your love and your mercy and grace and your judgment, God, we surrender to you those things in our lives that would harden our hearts. Thank you, Father, that you meet us exactly where we are in our journey today.
Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks in your name.